It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll be joined by Jason Butner, a former Pacers scout for eight seasons. In November, he moved on to a different Central Division team, to the Detroit Pistons, and we'll talk about his career path, highlights from his time with the Pacers, and the impact his father, Quinn Buckner, has had on his life. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Hi again, everyone. I'm Scott Agnes, and it means a lot to me that you've chosen to listen to this podcast. I hope you've subscribed on whichever your favorite podcast platform is at this point, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. It means a lot to me. And before we preview the upcoming season, which is less than a week away, and we'll do that on our very next podcast, I want to look back at one of the off-season changes for the Pacers, and specifically in the front office. You may have read, which I reported on on FieldhouseFiles.com, how Peter Dinwiddie moved on to the Philadelphia 76ers after his contract was up. Well, there was another front office member who left as well, and that was Jason Buckner. He was with the team for eight seasons, and in July he elected to bet on himself and pursue other opportunities, and in a short time after, he received a phone call from the new Detroit Pistons front office and joined that front office in November as the director of draft scouting. That's a huge step up, a job promotion for Buckner, who previously was the manager of basketball administration and most recently, about three years ago, was promoted to being a regional scout, one of three Pacer regional scouts along with Brian Winters and Mike Bourne. But this is a nice opportunity for Jason, and he meant a lot to the Pacers behind the scenes. He's not a name you may be familiar with. You certainly wouldn't be familiar with his work, and that's because by design he worked in the background. And where he did most of his work was gathering intel and background information. It was making calls about high schoolers. It was calling around colleges and learning more about potential draft picks and players they could bring in on free agent deals and players that they might look to add to their G League team that could have potential within their system in playing their style. So he, he's well-connected, calling around all the colleges, especially in this area. He's very well-connected with other teams in this league. And so I was finally glad I was able to have him on the podcast to not only talk about himself, but his career path, maybe that could help somebody that wants to work in basketball, that wants to work in scouting. And also, there aren't a lot of front office people that look like him as an African-American. That's something that needs to change across the league, and we'll touch on that as well. Before I get into it, just a reminder to read all of my work here free for the time being at fieldhousefiles.com. You have this, you have the podcast, and there will be a couple more things for you to get even more Pacers coverage from myself. Now here's my conversation with former Pacers scout Jason Buckner. All right, as promised, I now welcome in Jason Buckner, a familiar face, familiar name around Bankers Life Fieldhouse, but no longer as he's elected to move on. And now Thankfully, willing to join the podcast here as he's just, what, days in on his new job with the Detroit Pistons, staying within the Central Division as the Director of Draft Scouting 
for the Pistons. Jason, appreciate you joining the show. Congratulations. And uh, I guess to start, I'm just curious what things have been like in this wild time um, where you're not having you know, pre-draft workouts at facilities and you're jumping in with a whole new franchise. What have things been like in the first 10 days or so? Yeah, definitely a lot of balls in the air right now. Um, you know, our executive staff is out on the road uh, getting to use some of their uh, 10 workouts uh, that they're able to see guys in person, uh, put their hands on guys, interview guys, grab some meals. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm back at the home fort kind of working on our schedule really for next season. So uh, we're kind of working in two parallel planes at the same time right now, uh, closing out this year and preparing for this draft as well as getting ready for next season. Now you generally oversee kind of all, all scouting and so much goes into it, such as obviously evaluation, but gathering intel and looking at guys' background and talking to anyone you can around them. Uh, one of the kind of jokes about this draft has just been – how maybe it's the most compared draft um, just in terms of intel because that's all scouts like yourself have been able to do for months on end. Do you feel that way? I was just talking with one of my uh, coworkers about that very yeah. fact that you know this draft is getting to the point of being overanalyzed uh, as you know there's really been not much else for the staff to, to do. Uh, so it's really been sliced and diced every way you can imagine at this point. And everything's seemingly mostly on video, right? So you're sitting on your computer and Synergy and YouTube or however videos are getting to you. Correct. And, and the Zoom interviews as well. Uh, sure. Which is a little bit different dynamic than being able to interview someone, you know, face-to-face where you're, you know, getting, um, you know, the complete body language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit more fluidity in the conversation. So, you know, there's been an adjustment in, in every aspect of the process. And that's a good example. You don't need to touch on this if you don't want to, just um, out of intel-wise. But one of my favorite things in watching you guys after pre-draft workouts is you in a select group of scouts, usually guys behind the scenes, not Larry Bird, not Kevin Pritchard, are walking over to Harry Nizzi's, to Kilroy's. And that's where you can <laughs> right. casually observe these guys in a low-pressured situation and see how they interact with the, the waitress and, and see how they in, interact with other guys. Are they confident in their abilities? And things like that, you're right. You're, you're absolutely missing out on this year. So, Yeah, yeah. Those, those informal settings are probably the most useful pieces of information that um, – or one of the most useful pieces of information that you get out of the process, uh, especially in, in their visits to our facility. So um, – you know, it really gives you uh, great opportunities to see people's personalities shine, um, see who, you know, the guy that kind of stays back and is more observant, see the person who's kind of the alpha in the room, see the people that, you know, have maybe a little bit more discipline, a little bit less discipline. Uh, and without having that opportunity, uh, you know, you got to find other ways to kind of fill the void. You have an outstanding career that I want to get to, but first go back to kind of the last few months. First you elected to move on and and kind of bet on yourself and finding a new opportunity here over the summer, growing from your your Pacers position, and this opportunity then came about with the Pistons. What was kind of your your end game here in the trajectory of your career trying to advance and and find new opportunities and ways where you can contribute to a franchise? You know, I'm a man of... of you know, really kind of driven by my, my faith and purpose. And I just really wanted to go where, you know, I could be of, of most service and also have opportunities 
to, you know, grow in my skill set. And, you know, when, when Troy uh, and, and Dave Minford reached out to me and kind of let me know what they had going on here in Detroit and about the different opportunities that they were going to have uh, on their staff and the format with which they were going to run their front office and the kind of culture they were looking at building, it, for me it was just something different. You know, I, I gained – so much knowledge and so much opportunity working for the Pacers um, over the last eight years. And really it's just an opportunity to see a different way of, of building a team and, and a different way of running a front office. Yeah, and it's interesting too because you you had been with all the same people, right? When you joined the franchise, the Pacers in 2012, there's Ryan Carr, there's Kevin Pritchard, there's Peter, all those same people. So now you can create a new outlook and, and learn different ways to do the same type of thing and kind of challenge yourself. And I think the other cool thing is just how you, how you have grown really over the last few years, especially how you started out as manager of basketball administration and grew into a regional scout, I think one of three here for the Pacers. How much do you enjoy going out and being on site and evaluating and filing those reports? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like, you know, hearing the sneaker squeak and, yeah balls bounce and you know the swish of the ball go through the rim and and just seeing how players prepare for the game how players interact with their teammates um you know the physicality i mean it's just uh basketball in general is just you know really special sport and you know i i love the perspective that uh you kind of gain by by being a scout and and looking at it from that point of view before you arrived with the Pacers, you had a different role here locally at IUPUI as an assistant coach. So you kind of balanced, and we'll get into it. Before that, you were even a manager for IU basketball. So you've kind of experienced all different sides, from the coaching to the front office to the to guys doing every little thing as as a manager. Ultimately, is being the front office and ex- working your way up. Did you find that was more interesting and insightful to you than say being on a bench and coaching guys? Yeah, when I was growing up, you know, I was always very intrigued by the front office side of things. Uh, I used to read, they they used to have this book called The NBA Guy, The NBA Register, and that was something that I, you know, read like it was, you know, like my Bible um, every year. You know, every year when the new edition came out, it was like Christmas to me. And, you know, I always kind of looked at things from a a building team perspective and, you know, looking at the stats, uh, that part of it. You know, I think, Coaching is is really a a great God given ability, similar to, to teaching, uh, which runs in my, my family. You know, a lot of my dad's side of family uh, are, are teachers and professors and uh, college presidents and uh, superintendents and things like that. And um, so I've I've always uh, given great respect and, and held the profession of coaching in great regard, uh, especially even more so when I spent some time with the Black Coaches Association and got to sit in a lot of clinics and then, you know, having the opportunity to be on uh, Ron Hunter and, and Todd Howard's staff at IUPUI. Um, but, you know, as I was going into it, you know, I, I, there was a hope there that, you know, there was going to be some opportunities to, to work in a front office at some point. That's two great guys right there, Coach Howard and Ron Hunter. I mean, that had to be a fun yeah. coaching staff. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely <laughs> – it was never a dull moment, that's for sure. <laughs> Ron Hunter is endlessly entertaining and various both how he acts and what he says and keeps things lively, right? 
he does. He does. He does. He's uh, uh, you know, really funny guy. You know, big personality. You know, and and, and loves basketball, and and you know, looks at it. You know, with with a different perspective, and you know, I learned a lot working for him. To kind of put a cap on your time with the Pacers, what do you look back fondly about your experience? I mean, it covered eight years. You were there during the high moments during this last decade, right? The the back-to-back years where they went to the conference finals. You you saw the low moments where there was trade requests and Paul George getting injured and then Victor and and Domas arriving and beginning to take this franchise to a new height. What will you think back to, uh, Jason, as you consider your time here in Indy? You know, the you know, it's funny as you go through that. Uh, yeah, it was. It's a lot. You know, a lot of ups and downs, but it really didn't feel like that. You know, the entire time. I mean, um, you know, KP used like like I use a phrase, calm waters, and you know, I feel like for the most part, we generally operated kind of um, at the the middle place. You know, having a good sense of like equilibrium, equilibrium all throughout that. Uh, but you know, the main thing that stands out to me was just kind of the. Um, you know, family atmosphere, you know, it's a family owned franchise. Um, you know, a lot of the people uh, that were there were people that, you know, I've, I've grown up with and, and grown close to uh, before my time on staff. And then especially during my time on staff. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I love those guys and um, uh, had always just, uh, and, and will always really have fond memories of, of my time with the Pacers. On the other side of that, it's also here in Indy where you, you started a family and all that, so that that also will yeah. will hold a close meaning to you, obviously. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And, and the good thing is, and in, in my role with the, the Pistons, you know, I'm going to be able to still be based in Indianapolis, where you know uh, we we've really put in some pretty good roots over there in the Fountain Square area, and um, you know, love the community and and uh, feel very fortunate that. You know, while we have a one-month-year-old uh, son and, uh, you know, a, a almost three-year-old daughter, um, and uh, my wife and I are, are you know, relatively newly married, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to, to uh, by the fact that we still get to live in Indianapolis. Yeah, you got a lot of newness, but that's sweet that you are able to stay here. But I think it's probably made easier now over these last right eight months or so where everybody proved that they can work remotely and for you you just need to be probably in front of technology and then traveling and calling people and such and so that makes total sense why you can do that almost anywhere yeah i mean and that uh indianapolis especially is, is a great place to be based out of to, to scout um and the fact that you can get to so many different schools and conferences within you know four four and a half hour drive uh you can touch you know down in uh, you know SEC country, going down to Nashville, uh, Knoxville. Um, you can you know get to the Big East, the Big Ten, ACC. Uh, so it's really just a great place to be based based out of as a, as a guy that you know primarily going to be spending his time watching college games. Being labeled a scout is kind of a generic term, but there's so much that goes into it. What does Jason at in 2020 know about scouting, and what is most valuable, whether it's evaluation or intel, that you didn't know? you know, eight years ago that you, you would have had no idea about? You know, I, I think it really just goes to the process. You know, I try to work backwards, um, you know, as we kind of came to the conclusion each season and we were kind of going through, you know, exit interviews and just kind of hearing the things that, you know, maybe we were frustrated about with a player or, you know, a particular reason a player wasn't reaching his full potential. You know, I always kind of kept a list of that. And, you know, I kind of worked backwards in that and trying to, predict 
you know, or, or ask what questions um, can lead to that result? You know, how can we predict that this guy is not going to be maybe the hardest worker or this guy is going to be a nuisance in the locker room or, um, you know, those different kind of things that, that usually um, make the relationship go south, you know, in the end. And then what are the questions that can help us pull out some of the positive things? So the guys that we really love in the locker room and we love on our team, you know, you're trying to jot down those characteristics and then work backwards to say, all right, what questions can we ask during the process that'll help, uh, you know, push out, hey, this is a guy that is the leader of the locker room, is the positive influence on the road, is the coach on the floor, you know, those kind of things. The guys that have great passion for the game, great love for the game, and, and some grit. You know, how do you ask a, a staff member, how do you ask an AU coach, uh, to try to predict, you know, those kind of behaviors in the future. The thing I'm amazed with, and you, you see it probably more than anyone being right in front of it and draft scouting, is those individuals all like 18 and under, and they can be social media phenomenons. I mean, no better uh, example is Pelican's Zion Williams, right? Everybody knew who he was. He had millions of Instagram followers. How have you seen players having to navigate and deal with that and manage that. Some take a lesser profile, some totally embrace it, but that's something I'm sure you're all over in your studies and character evaluations, which is obviously a big part of what you do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it goes, you can't judge a book by its cover. I think how social media is affecting each player is, uh, each player has its uh, unique relationship i guess with social media mm-hmm. um you know some of them aren't even responsible for their social media <laughs> um and they have you know family members or you know pr firms and things like that doing it for them so you know you may see hey this guy posts all the time he's, he's putting stuff up three times a day and then you come to find out he's not even the one doing it and he's not even into social media so you know you really have to kind of dig down and, and and try to get an understanding of what that player is uh, relationship is with social media and how does social media i think more importantly affect that player um you know do they really that's true yeah take are they the, reading the it? negative comments i mean i think there's been a lot of stories here and I, I think you've done some of that work as well uh interviewing players that have struggled with the negativity that's out there on social media particularly in uh on, on twitter and uh you know some some players you know, read that stuff and, and are greatly affected. And some players read that stuff and it's not even a blip on their radar. And, and other players do a great job of just avoiding it altogether. Yeah, that was one story I highlighted last year where Miles Turner just turned it off for a little bit. TJ McConnell right. admitted he doesn't really do it. His wife runs it just strictly for some ad revenue or some partnerships, I should say. Malcolm Brogdon, right. kind of the same way. He stayed off of it until he realized it was a good way to spread the word about his Brogdon family foundation. So everybody has right. their different uses, but you're absolutely right. You just can't allow for it to impact you. Um, one, one last thing in terms of the Pacers, I think that you guys have to continue to do a good job in is finding a way to find good players where you are because, let's face it, Pacers haven't drafted inside the top 10 in forever. I think it's 1989 is the stat I always go back to. So it's finding that value and and maximizing it, right, when you're constantly drafting essentially 15 to 25. And, and to me, that's a gray area where there's no obvious answer every year. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, I think just in general, you know, the, the approach – uh, not just in the draft, but in 
and in free agency and in trades and and the attitude of the team is trying to do more with with less yeah and um trying to get guys that will you know outkick their coverage so to say and so uh you know that that definitely bears fruit in the in the draft um just by as a, a product of our success as a franchise um and you know i think you know larry and, and donnie and, and kp have, have done a great job uh you know leading us and um you know, kind of training us on, you know, what what are the characteristics to look for for guys that normally overproduce their predictions. Who have been some of your mentors throughout all this process? You have obviously a great background um, working at IU, IUPUI, and now with the Pacers. Who stands out to you? Who's the guy you call if you ever have questions? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've different you know mentors for different things. You know, I mean, there's there's guys that you know I'll go to for you know, personal advice and, and family advice. You know, there's, there's sure. guys that, you know, I go to for, you know, basketball advice. Um, you know, there's guys I go to for, you know, uh, career navigating advice. Um, you know, one of my earliest and probably, you know, longest mentors outside of my, my father would be a guy named Kevin Clark, who was a, a AD at Temple and, and uh, is now a chief of staff at Temple University. And, who I interned for after Coach Knight left IU, and you know he's a guy that you know I've, I've leaned on heavily. That's you know outside the basketball world. Um, that was one of the you know first people to really kind of show me what you know mentorship is, and you know the importance of, of giving back and, and helping you know create a pipeline of, of talent. Did I hear correctly that it was ultimately Larry who, who gave you a call after you were with IUPUI and? And then that's ultimately how you got in with the Pacers and got rolling. Yes, uh, you know Larry and, and, and Peter Dinwiddie actually had you know a lot to do with that, uh, as far as was plucking me from the Summit League mm-hmm. and um, you know finding an opportunity at the Pacers uh, for me to kind of help them where they felt like you know they they could use a boost and kind of play to my strengths and also giving me an opportunity to to learn something completely different. And this was after you had kind of bounced around trying to figure out it seemed like what you wanted to do with with Philip Morris and then the Black Coaches Association Impact which is one of the kind of premier training grounds for so many players. Um, and then IUPUI, and then settled in nicely. I do want to ask just about your dad. Everybody knows uh, the Hall of Fame guy, the TV analyst guy, but how has Quinn Buckner impacted your career in basketball? Yeah, well, actually, first I'll, I'll cover the uh, kind of what you're talking about. You know, the, it kind of goes back to what I said originally is that, you know, the way I've approached my career is always kind of going where I feel like I'm needed. Um, and going where I feel like, you know, God's really, you know, pushing me to be without necessarily kind of sticking to a, a set plan um, as far as, you know, I'm going to be this in this amount of years type thing. Um, sure. And so it's funny. You just never really know how your previous experiences will benefit you in the future. Um, but, you know, I, I'm definitely a testament to, the fact that, you know, being open and being available and willing to take risks um, can put you in um, great positions to succeed in in roles that you never would have dreamed you'd be in when you first started out. So 
um, you know, I'm really thankful for all those different kind of twists and turns that, you know, led me to, um, you know, my position here with the Pistons. Um, but, you know, going on to my father, you know, I, I, he was just a fantastic mentor and, um, and a fantastic father and just a, you know, really, you know, loving and considerate guy that is one of the all time great leaders and winners in sport. And so, there's just a, a huge advantage to have that kind of guy looking over your shoulder um, and and cheering for you and, and pushing you and questioning you and um, holding you accountable. <laughs> yeah, and completely holding you accountable. Yeah. I mean, you can't have a better taskmaster than, than Quinn Buckner. So, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have him as my father, and you know, he is the number one reason, you know, um, along with my mother, um, for where I am today. Yeah. I just love wherever we are, whether it's on the road or at a home game, he's always bumping into me, giving me shit about something I said or did, or always lightens up the mood. And and you got to appreciate that. Yeah. You definitely got to be quick with the tongue around, uh, Mm -hmm. pops because he, uh, he'll, he'll throw some barbs at you pretty quick. So that's, that's one thing, you know, our, our things, and my mom is really, really strong in that too so we always joke you know the, the buckner family table at thanksgiving you, you got to be able to come quick with the, the lines <laughs> because uh you know they're pulling no punches there uh, in between stuffing servings yeah i'm sure now not only are they happy for you but ecstatic that you're staying around so you're within a, a short drive even though detroit in fairness is what a quick drive four hours north um so that's not too yeah, bad yeah, either it's not, yeah it's not a bad drive at all you know i've already done it couple times in the last two weeks uh, but uh you know my father and, and i had always talked about how fortunate we were to to work in such close proximity and you know be able to grab lunch with each other you know mm-hmm. uh, once or a couple times a week and just visit with each other before games or after games and um we knew it wasn't going to last forever but we definitely took advantage and, and cherished the time that that we had during during my years with the pacers did you ever sit down and watch the Last Dance series with him? And why I ask is because Quinn has friends everywhere. And, of course, that's where I found out how close he was to Michael Jordan, which was just fascinating but not surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's just a guy that uh, – He's never met a stranger, a little, right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, he's just – he's a guy that um, a lot of successful people enjoy being around, and he enjoys being around um, – you know, successful people, you know, I think there's a uh, certain approach to life that, um, you know, those guys have in common and, you know, there's a a low tolerance for BS and, um, you know, those, 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 (laughs) they definitely enjoy themselves. And and I know that, you know, their their friendship means a lot to each other when it comes to my dad and, and MJ. One thing I do want to highlight is obviously you're a black individual succeeding in, in the front office, but there's not a, a ton of people that do look like you, and there needs to be more opportunities. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that in general across the league. Um, outside of former players, there's not a lot of front office people. There's not a lot of um, um, basketball operations assistants, for that matter. Yeah, you know, it, it's increased. I mean, I would love to see the numbers, but – you know, taking a guess from my first times out on the road um, back in 2012, 2013 to to now, I mean, I'd have to think that the numbers have at least doubled, if not tripled, um, as far as the amount of you know African Americans that 
our, our scouting staff and you know, the African Americans that uh, have you know manager, director, and up uh, roles with teams. I mean, uh, you know, the assistant GMs. Uh, I'm not sure if there's more GMs, but um, you know, I think there's definitely more guys in, in the pipeline right now. There's a lot of talent there, and you know, uh, hopefully, as time goes on, more and more of those guys get opportunities to, to run their own franchises. And that's and that's why you know I, I'm really excited to work here with with Troy Weaver, you know, um, you know, in some regards, you know, I feel like, you know, I have a responsibility uh, to to make sure that he succeeds mm-hmm, um, because I know that you know his success is is important to uh, so many other you know African Americans that are you know in this industry you know besides myself. I also do want to go back to your, your time at Indiana um, as a basketball manager. And there's been a lot of successful managers to come through that pipeline. Ryan Carr is one I think about, of course, the Pacers vice president of personnel. Um, you can go on down the line. Lawrence Frank in the NBA. How would you summarize kind of your experience there? You even worked with under Coach Knight for a brief stint, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I didn't work with like Shragi, but yet, you know, Shragi had David George. He had, um, you know, Personally, during my time, we had uh, Dusty May. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had uh, Joe Pasternak. Um, you know, there's there's obviously got Lawrence Frank, um, who was there, I think, around Ryan Carr's time. You got our, the AD, <laughs> Scott Dolson at, at Indiana was, was a manager. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a huge tradition um, that, you know, other programs such as, you know, Duke and Michigan State have, you know, replicated since – since then and and it was you know a really special time and a really special group and uh just the um discipline and the kind of friendly competitiveness and the accountability are, are things that really uh lead to to success and and whatever you do um you know and there's a lot of guys that have had success in in other fields um but it's you know i think there's probably as many uh former managers that are out there working in in college basketball and um you know, pro basketball, probably more in pro basketball than there are, you know, former players and, and former assistant coaches of, of Coach Knight. So it just goes to say how, how strong that, that manager program was. Yeah, long line of tradition. I think you summarized it well. The accountability aspect and discipline is things you immediately think about, I think. I want to end on this note. And I'm sure you get asked about it a lot. Probably your emails clogged about it. But I think it'd be a good time with your experience, your diverse background, and, and all of your experience – it would be helpful to others. What's what advice do you share with people that want to strive to work for a front office? What would you offer them, or in basketball in general? Well, I think similar to, to just sports in general. I mean, you have to be willing to um, chase opportunity and, and and be available and realize that you're not going to make a lot of money up front to do that. Um, you know, being very uh, coachable. Uh, and, you know, we're kind of leading with just a, a, a servant mindset, I think, are, are the key things to having success in, in the basketball industry. That's awesome, Jason. I appreciate you joining on. I wanted to share about your story, about your successes. And now, unfortunately for us, but you're moving on to the Pistons. And uh, we wish you well and uh, appreciate all you did for the Pacers. No, thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me on.